0: Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, the Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids.
1: And I'm Amari Tanco for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press.
0: Amari, you got a special shout out today. You said you wanted to give some love to another team in Detroit.
1: Yeah, big shout out to the Detroit Lions, 9-8. Uh, Uh, I mean, I think they just came off of the best season I've ever watched. Honestly, I've been watching this team since you know I was in like sixth, fifth grade, probably regularly. And I've never seen a season like this where you could say with total confidence that they accomplished everything they needed to accomplish. And they didn't make the playoffs, I know. But I tweeted this last night and I'm just going to say it right now. I think a 9-8 season with a win over the Packers that clinched a better record than the Packers and also clinched a winning record and just ends the season on this major high note. Uh, to me, I just I just can't imagine how you could end the season on a better note. Uh, six win improvement. Uh, just just big shout out. Like I just had like last I'm sitting down and I'm just thinking I've never seen the Lions team just from start to finish. You start off one and six and then you win, I think, eight of your last ten or whatever it was. I've just never seen this type of season before. And I think we have to just turn the the, the, the chapter. Uh, I mean, if the Lions lost that game, I would have said, okay, this franchise has some things to figure out, but they won. So uh, new, new chapter for the Lions. Like, I really don't know what even else to say at this point. Never seen a season like it. Uh, this is the Pistons post, so we're going to move on. But I've just, I've just as a, a Lions watcher for a long time, I've never seen this happen before. So I just had to dedicate the first few minutes of the spot to the Lions.
0: Yeah. So to call myself out, I'm a Chiefs fan, you know, so I'm riding the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes and all that. But I I have tried to pay a little more attention to the Lions. And I'll say this, like even the NFL podcasts I listen to are giving the Lions all sorts of love. The Chiefs podcast talks about everybody loves what they're doing. They have all these draft picks. They have all this young talent. What was impressive to me about what they did yesterday, Amari, they did what they had to do yesterday. Like they were... They were this close to making the playoffs. The Seahawks just were able to come through and do what they needed to do. But the Rams almost beat the Seahawks. I didn't watch the game, but I know it went into overtime and all of that. So they they were so close to getting into the playoffs. So, yeah, big shout out to the Lions. Great season. And it seems like they're like headed definitely in the right direction, the right trajectory, I think we could have a whole segment about the quarterback situation, but we will not because um, it is the Pistons pulse. And I do want to give a shout out to Slater917. We got another Apple review and rating said, love the content as a Pistons fan from nowhere near Detroit. Shout out Pistons fans not living in Detroit. The insight y'all bring each week gives me everything I need to know from an information standpoint and helps me to watch the games with a more critical eye. Keep up the great work. Again, we always appreciate these, and it, it really does help us grow. The more Apple you know, five-star ratings, the more Spotify five-star ratings, the more reviews, comments, all that stuff, shares, everything you guys can do, um, we appreciate it so much. And, and I know, Amari, you feel the same way.
1: Uh, especially at this point in the season where <laughs> you know, I could just see a lot of people are, are tuning out with no Cade, and the team has been playing really well. So it seems like our, our listenership has still been steady. And of course we have some big stuff coming up with the draft and with the trade deadline about a month. Actually, I think exactly a month from today. So uh, keep giving us your feedback. We love it. Uh, It gives us motivation and always just great to hear what you all like from us. So keep it coming.
0: Yeah, so this is going to be an episode where we're going to revisit our preseason predictions. We did the Pistons poll stat prediction hotline. Um, I put out a Twitter poll to see the pulse of the fan base and where they were at with their preseason predictions. But I want to start with what you just mentioned, Amari. This fan base seems to be starting to get over it. Now, I'm interested to see what happens now that the Lions season is over. Because if the Lions were in the playoffs right now, I don't think anybody would be watching a Pistons game this next week. It would be all Lions talk, all of that. But, you know, is it, do you understand the fan base's frustration right now? Because sometimes I go back and forth, like everybody says, oh, there's nothing to watch. And I'm like, I know we'll get into some of these players, but I I do think there's still stuff to watch. I do think there's some positive things, and we'll talk about one of those games in a second. But obviously you're feeling the same vibe that the fan base is kind of down right now and kind of over this thing.
1: Yeah, I get it. On one end, it's basketball, and you're going to have a contingent of people who are always invested just because... It's basketball, or maybe they just get the big picture of um the NBA's tough right now. Um, the Pistons probably weren't going to make a deep postseason run realistically even with Kate. So without Kate, of course, that lowers the ceiling for this team. But at the same time, you have adults who are working, you know, you have a you know, a wife or husband that kids or whatnot, and you're just like, Why would I spend my evening watching a bad team that's not going to do anything for um the upteeth year in a row? And I get that, I get that, but I still think there's been a lot of fun stuff. Of course, it's my job to watch the team, but you know, you probably don't get the job unless you don't mind watching basketball in any form, anyway. Uh, I think there's still been a lot to, um, if you're a fan, uh, just to look forward to. Whether it's Killian Hayes, who had one of the best games of his career again uh, last night, um, you know, Isaiah Stewart, Jay, like Janet Dura didn't play, but he's been great. Uh, so we're gonna revisit some of our preseason predictions, some of which I think were pretty good, some of which were terrible. But, <laughs> I still think there's stuff to watch. Like, if you're a casual fan and there's an OK, like, I get it. But overall, um, you know, I still think this team has been uh, overall pretty interesting. Uh, maybe not as from the standpoint of, of the winning, but just from the game-to-game development. I think there's still been a lot of that if you're into that type of thing.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of individual player development, which we'll talk about, as you mentioned. But it's also it's such a roller coaster ride that it makes it interesting to me. I never know what we're gonna get on a given night. And nothing highlighted that more than this past week, Omari. They go to Golden State and pull out a win with one of the best home teams in the league. And I realize Steph Curry's out. I don't care because the Pistons are playing every game without Cade Cunningham and the injuries continue to pile up. Marvin Bagley, Duran didn't play on Sunday night, but they go to Golden State. They play well. Looks like they're going to give the game away. They give up the three to Clay Thompson, who ties it. Sadiq gets completely lost, you know, guarding Clay gets ball watching. I tweeted something out. I actually called out Isaiah Stewart a little bit because Stu is guarding Kavon Mooney, who set the screen and he got ball watchy and didn't help and was caught inside the three point line in that situation. But then they come down and Sadiq saves the night with a big three. So like, those few possessions were a roller coaster alone, but let's start with that Warriors win. Like, that had to be great for the morale of the team.
1: Yeah, it really was. You're coming off of a, a pretty bad loss to the Portland Trail Blazers. And like you said, no Steph Curry. They didn't have Ezreal Wiggins either. And they still have Clay Thompson. They still have Jordan Poole. They still have. Dangerous players, but Draymond, who
0: got ejected in that game, Draymond, I, kind of, I had forgot about that. Yeah,
1: yeah, he, he, he did get ejected toward the end after getting into it with Isaiah Stewart. So, still, if you just look at it overall, uh, just best players on both teams' standpoint, you still see that Golden State still has an edge, and for the Pistons, just to execute. Down the stretch, uh, like Killian, he didn't shoot well, but 13 assists, zero turnovers. Uh, I think he had the highest plus-minus of the the team. At the single-game plus-minus is the best stat, but I think it's still pretty useful in situations like that where uh, the eye test also supports it. And just some of the shots that they hit down the, the, the stretch, yes. like you get big threes from uh, Bogey and, and Burks. And as soon as Clay Thompson began knocking down those threes after starting off 0 for 6, you're kind of like, okay, if Clay gets going, maybe that swings the game because uh, we all know what he can do. And it almost did. It almost did. He, he tied the game at the end, and that's a game that uh, they very well could have lost just based on how the season has gone, and they didn't. So, um, you know, of course, they lost to the Spurs, and then they lost to – who did they play last <laughs> the night? Sixers. The Sixers. <laughs> the Sixers. The Sixers. Like, all these games got to run together after a while. The, they, the they really do. Night. Like,
0: it, it's cra- I, sometimes I feel bad, Omari, because I'm like – man, I don't even remember who they played the other night. And I watch every single game. I've watched 100% of Detroit Pistons basketball this year. I've watched every single second, whether live or I get up and watch the next morning or, you know, whatever it is. But I sometimes I'm like, dang, I can't remember who the – so I don't know if I'm getting old or there's just a lot going on, but that made me feel better that you forgot who they played last night.
1: And I was actually at all these games in, <laughs> in person, which makes it worse. But a lot of these losses end up sort of going down the same way. Yes. So when I try to think back on games, it's usually specific moments or, you know, maybe I remember being in a specific arena. But a game like that Spurs, um, I'm sorry, that Sixers loss uh, where it's just, you know, similar loss they've had all season. Just, you know, never seen by Bird Salad and I'm sitting in the same seat at the LCA as I always sit in, and all those games kind of really get it after a while, honestly. So, I mean, you, you'd be surprised. I forget games a lot, and I'm like, who did they just play twelve hours ago? Like I was just there. Uh, but long story short, God, I think anytime you get a win and you actually close out, you know, for this team, it's always a big deal, and uh, that's what they did, and they haven't had that since. So, you know, even if you don't have stuff and you don't have Wiggins or whoever, I still think that that's a, a win that this team can build on and, and, and take pride in.
0: Okay, so before we get to a couple players, Amari, I have to ask you about the defense. The the Pistons essentially have the worst or one of the worst defenses in the league. We've talked about it. We've talked about how they don't have a lot of good individual defenders. The scheme has changed since last season. And I I just want to point out, the scheme they're running this year is more complicated, in my opinion, than whenever you just switch everything. Part of the reason you switch everything is your communication and everybody off ball, your rotations, all that, that stuff. It's still a complicated scheme, but it's not as complicated as what they're doing now, where it's drop ice, weak side tag man, weak side rotations, no help off strong side corner, you know, more more and more, you know, intricacies even than that. But what is your vibe just from the team, from the players, Coach Casey, Coach Allen? Like, because to me, there hasn't been any improvement, Omari. That's been my frustration is... Or what I've been kind of keeping an eye on is it seems like it's just as bad as it was at the beginning of the season. Maybe it's because of the injuries. I know they have young players, but I would have liked to at least see a little bit of improvement from this defense over the last you know month or so.
1: No, the team hasn't improved defensively at all. And at this point, I wonder if they will period throughout the course of this entire season just because it hasn't been there. And we talked about it going into the year, right, that if you just go up and down the roster, how many... Proven plus defenders does the team have. I mean, we both agreed on Killian Hayes and Isaiah Stewart. And then it's like, well, maybe Kay can get there and Kay's Kay's out, obviously. Um, Then Isaiah Livers, we talked about the same defense. He's been hurt. He also hasn't played. And then everybody else on the team is like, okay, well, Jalen Darren is 18, 19 years old. He's probably not going to be a plus in that end. And he's physically imposing and has the instincts I think to be a rim protector, but actually applying that into the game is a different thing. And like, that's fine. You don't expect your 13th overall pick to come in and immediately be uh, the rim protector you expect them to be four years from now. Uh, But just beyond that, I mean, the veterans, Bogey, Alec Burks didn't really have reputations as defensively, you know, positive guys coming in and they haven't been quite simply. Uh, You haven't really seen the gains from, you know, Sadiq Bay and Marvin Bagley, and maybe some of the young guys who have potential on that end. So uh, to me, it's still more of a roster issue than a coaching issue. And yes, there are schemes that can cover up a lot of those problems. But I think when you're a bad team filled with bad defenders, you're probably just going to play bad defense. And there's not a lot you can really do about that. So I just, I just, I just don't see how this team really makes any significant improvement with, you know, around 38 games stuff at this point.
0: I think this is who we are going to see them be for the rest of the season. And it's one thing not to have point of attack defenders, Amari, you know, which is something that Killian can do, like just guard the, Person that's in front of you. What I think I didn't anticipate is how many guys this roster has that aren't like good team defenders. Like that's what Isaiah Livers is, Omari. I don't know that Livers is like holding up at the point of attack against a lot of the best players in the league, but Livers was really good, just like a connector piece defensively. He'd make the rotation, he'd tag the role guy, he would, you know, communicate. They're missing that. And you don't expect young guys like Ivy and Duran to do that. But then even some of the veterans, like I'm not sure that's something that Boyan's great at. I, I don't watch Burks enough closely enough on the defensive end anyway to know how he is there but that seems to be where they really struggle is they just don't have all these field guys these rotation team defenders but Sadiq Bey isn't even good at that let alone at the point of attack so it will be really interesting I I think it's a much larger conversation that comes into play when we get to the offseason is some of the moves that Troy Weaver makes does it really attack that because where is he going to put his focus you know, where's he going to put his focus? Because, yeah, they're middle of the pack, back in the middle of the pack in scoring. So you still got to get better there. But to me, there probably is going to be an emphasis on the defensive end and, and acquiring players that are going to help you out there.
1: I would think so. And then you also just really want to see that internal improvement as well. True. Uh, I think, you know, as far as last season, uh, you look at how, like, which players in the NBA that fit this core and does not, this rep, which we have in place too much, I like, can really transform this team defensively. And it's, for the most part, big men, right? Like you look at, you know, centers, like maybe find a backup center who's that type of player. But I think Dern and Isaiah Stewart uh, ideally are giving you 48 minutes of above-average defense every night. And you're not quite there yet, but I think it, it, internally, uh, that's what you hope for next season. Uh and beyond that, like they really do just need some improvement on the wing. wing uh, you yeah. don't really have any, you know, deterrence on the wing at all. And you just can't do much when your your best defenders are uh one big man who's six eight and can do a lot of things, but he can't do it all himself. And then Killian Hayes, who uh you can put him on the opposing guard and feel pretty good about it, but you just have this entire range of players right in the middle who uh are just dominating the Pistons right now. And that's probably what you need. You just need a really good two-way wing. You can plug into the starting lineup and who can, at the very least, hold his own defensively and not just be an overall plus on that end. So that is a priority for the team, Uh, no doubt. I think if there's one takeaway from the season it's that you just need to be able to put out at least three or four good defenders if you want to have a chance at winning or else every night's going to be a shootout. And if you're not a top five team, you're probably going to, not make the leap you want to make.
0: For Pistons fans, Amin and Asar Thompson are two guys that that will really excite you if you really agree with that and need some defensive wing and athleticism. But, Let's get into these projections that we had preseason. We're actually going to start with two guys that were mid-season trade additions from Troy Weaver over the past couple seasons, and then in the segment two, we'll get into the 2020 and 21 draft classes. Let's start with Hamadou Diallo, Amari. So we projected, and the projections were an average of what Omari and I had. So it's it's the average. We projected seven points, four rebounds, one assist. Hami is currently averaging seven points, three point one rebounds, and just under one assist per game. So this was one where we were pretty close, Omari.
1: Yeah, the thing about Hami was just how many minutes is he going to get? Yeah, and you know, player and so far, I think his role probably been exactly where we expected it would be. If Isaiah Livers and Ke- or Kevin Knox are shooting the ball were, or during the rotation, maybe they get preference and. Just him being a small ball four, maybe those opportunities won't be there every night. But injuries have thrust him back to the rotation, and uh, I think he's actually been pretty ideal version of of Hani. You know, just from the standpoint if he could come in and immediately give you energy, uh, which the team has often lacked. You know, as we know, just from watching the games. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy that the points per game are like dead on, and the rebounds are maybe a tad under, but uh, it's pretty. That was a pretty accurate one, and I also think we nailed what his role would be through this point, and in that injuries would kind of have to pave the way for him. You know, which they have, and you know, he's been, uh, I think, exactly the ideal. I mean, maybe defensively he's had some nitpicks or whatnot, but I think he has the season has going pretty much as expected thus far up to 44 games.
0: Well, he's had a really good stretch of, of late. You know, he's brought that energy in, made some plays and, you know, done what Homie does. And I said yesterday watching the game that I feel like Homie's a perfect 11th or 12th man on a team. And I know some people aren't going to like that. They're like, no, Homie's a rotation guy. And I get it that some people are higher. I used to be higher on Homie. Now we've had a larger sample size and more data to collect and watch. And I just feel like he's one of those guys that's perfect for that role when somebody gets injured, he can come play 10, 12 minutes a night. You're in the dog days of January, and guys aren't playing hard on a given night. He comes in and just gives you a boost of energy. And I just think that, that that's what he is on a, on a good team. And so maybe he does stay around it and find that role with the Pistons moving forward. I just don't know that I'm super interested in seeing Hami be uh, the eighth man on the Detroit Pistons over the next two or three seasons. So, you know, essentially, like you said, he's been what we thought. The Twitter poll— he was eight percent had him above expectations 68 percent right on par with expectations and actually 24 percent of the poll had homie below expectations which to me is a little bit surprising so the part of the fan base which is just twitter and i know vince ellis reminded me of this that that's not that's not indicative of the entire fan base but that we got to answer the twitter poll one fourth of them a little bit disappointed with Hami. That does surprise me just a little bit.
1: And then I think that that twenty four percent of the fan base is kind of what we get out with Hami, where I think there is just a contingent of Pistons fan who sees a lot more potential in him, uh, probably largely because of the athleticism. Yeah, which is fair. But the bottom line for Hami is that he's not a strong shooter, and he also doesn't really create much with the ball in his hands, which puts him into more of an off-ball, just sort of energy. Specialist role where he could push the ball in transition or make things happen on cuts and putbacks. He could put him in the dunker spot. And he's a unique player. Uh, and I think he does a lot of things that this team needs just from a not needing to ball, and coming to make energy plays standpoint. Uh, we see him um, uh, make those plays consistently and. Uh, the effort's always there. Like, I don't, you know, like he's not always as good defensively as you want. Uh, you know, he's not going to give you a lot of shooting, but he always plays with a lot of energy and a lot of effort. And, like you said, for an 11 for 12 man, I think that makes him an ideal player for that type of road because there's just some games where need somebody to come in and just give you a pop of energy. And that's what he does. So it's still interesting that there's a bit of a disconnect there because I think that this has just essentially been uh, a quintessential homie season and he's just doing the exact homie things you expect Tommy to do. Uh, but 24 is still a pretty decent chunk who expected more. So uh, to me, that's curious because I just think that this season has been like dead on from what you could realistically expect from him.
0: No, I agree with you. And obviously, you know, our projection and the actual uh, me. And so that makes sense. And I do. Was, he's another example of the, a defender who so he has some good point of attack stuff and he has some good disruption stuff. But like making the rotations, then he gets backdoored, some of those things. He's another one of those defenders that doesn't do those things well. The next one, Omari, may be the one we missed the most, and that's Marvin Bagley III. We projected 16 points per game, eight rebounds per game, and one block per game for Marvin Bagley III. His actual stout line right now is 10.6 points per game, 5.9 rebounds, and 0.7 blocks. So... I know he's been injured. We're not going to see Bagley for what another four to six weeks until he gets reevaluated. We, we may have—I don't want to say—we've seen the last of Marvin Bagley the Third this season, but there's not going to be a ton of season left whenever he starts to play. Um, what do you think we went wrong with the Marvin Bagley the Third projection?
1: So the difficult thing with Marvin, and uh, I think he'll probably come back sometime after the All Star break, uh, his reevaluation date. If he come, if he's reevaluated re-evaluate it right at that six-week point. It'll be during All-Star Weekend, so maybe he comes back last week of February or uh, first week of March, just depending on his recovery. Uh, I think the tough thing with Marvin was that a lot of that kind of came down to Jalen Duren's readiness, which over the summer uh, we could not really predict that Jalen was going to have the role that he's had and I don't think the coaching staff do that for a fact up until you actually get Jalen into the system and you're watching him in practice every day and seeing what he does with, with his minutes. And then it's like, oh, like he could actually handle a lot. So we're not going to hold him back. We're just going to uh, just that, let him go, basically. And we're going to talk about Jalen Duran later. But I think Jalen Duran's emergence, uh, just the work the minutes available for Marvin, where we actually saw him start at the beginning of the season and then they swapped him and Jalen Duran to prioritize that a Stewart. Durant front court, uh, which I think we saw as a possibility, but that was like the best case scenario for Jalen Duran, right? And he got there. And I think for us, it was just a Marvin starting. He's going to get points because that's that's what he does, and he's going to rebound because that's what he does. And he's still done that well off the bench. He just hasn't had the minutes or or the health with that MCL sprain to really get into the groove he needed to get in. So. Uh, Just a lot of stuff that you can't really predict, whether it's the the injuries with Marvin or, you know, Jalen Durham being ready, but that's led to Marvin Bagley just not quite having the role uh, needed to put those points up.
0: Yeah. I mean, so if you look at just as 18 games last year with Detroit in the 25 this year, Amari, he's playing six minutes less per game in the 2022, 2023 season and getting three less shot attempts per game. So I, I think our projection was accurate in terms of the role we thought he was going to play. And as you've pointed out, that's just not the role he's ended up getting. And, you know, the, Twitter poll, 2% had above, 45% right at, and then 53% below. I'm actually surprised that the percentage of below expectations wasn't higher. You know, he got the contract, which was surprising to a lot of people nationally, even some people within the Pistons fan base. And so I'm actually surprised. Maybe people are giving him the benefit of the doubt with the injuries. I I have been a little disappointed. I'll, I'll, I'll have to admit that I was Hoping for a big year from Marvin Bagley III. I think he's made some small strides defensively, actually, just in terms of his activity overall, even though the block shots are actually down. I think there have been some small strides, like don't get carried away. I'm not saying he's a plus defender now. But I, I did think he was just at least going to be a bucket, catching lobs, those type of things. And that can that connection and chemistry just didn't seem to be there, even in the
1: games he did play. It didn't. And just a lot of that is some missing training camp and, and preseason with No, he didn't miss training camp. He missed preseason and then uh, the start of the regular season with that MCL sprain. And uh, That's one thing with Marvin is that he's always been injury-prone, and that's been the case this season, but also just extremely unlucky because both injuries were just complete fluke accidents, right? It's not like he landed on his ankle wrong or had a non-contact, like he landed on a player's foot getting back on defense uh during preseason against memphis and then his hand just kind of got caught on like a defender's waist or something and that Spurs, and you know you know that can't be played and um just look like his fingers just got bent. so just a little bit of a weird situation that was in the, the portland game last week uh just just an, an odd situation an odd way to get injured and it's cost him time but you know, again, like the thing with Marvin is that he has been injury prone throughout his career. And um, I think when you take that into account, uh, the season's actually been a more u- usual season for him, honestly. And I think when he gets back, I'd be curious to see what kind of role he's able to get and uh, how he's able to play.
0: Absolutely. So we're going go to go a short break right here. And then when we come back, we're going to dive into the 2020 and 2021 draft classes, starting with a very impressive season from Killian Hayes.
1: All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and
0: you say, hey, this is Carlos Menares," and I'll go, and then we'll go back. Do you want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean
1: Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food
0: arts culture sports tv movies you name it if it's happened in detroit we're going to talk about it
1: and sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything but we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories folks from the sports world we're going to be out every thursday you can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts apple spotify google podcasts we hope you'll join us all right, we're back with segment two, and we're going to lead off with Killian Hayes, who I think has probably been, if we're talking about just like a raw improvement standpoint, uh, the most impressive player uh, for the team this season, had a career night, uh, Titus career high 26 last night. Uh, we projected 8.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 5 assists at 2.5 three-point attempts per game. And his actual numbers are 9.1 points, 2.9 rebounds, 5.5 assists, and then 3.4 three-point attempts per game. So points, rebounds, assists are all actually pretty close. They're all within like 0.5 or 0.6. Uh, but the three-pointers is actually better than we projected. He's taken almost one more three a game than we both thought he would. So we both said like going up, but just not quite as high as it went. And for the post, 73%. Uh, put them over, and then twenty-two percent put them at expectations, leaving just five percent who have been underwhelmed by him. And you know, maybe there's a very small contingent of the fan base who thought he'd become James Harden this season, but uh, still, very clearly, ninety-five percent. In favor, which I think sounds about right.
0: Yeah, I'm actually surprised the above expectations wasn't more. But there are a lot of really big Killian fans. And a lot of them probably were just like, no, we knew this is what Killian was going to be. And they did, like, realistically expect him. I I don't know if anybody could have expected this, Omari. Like, he's gone even beyond what I feel like was rationally you know, possible for his improvement this season. And it didn't even start off good. Like, that's what's even more impressive is these numbers would be better if we took out, what, the first 10 games or so. He's You know, he started the season not great. And then it's been really good. His last two games, 18 points, 26 points, both games he was over 50% from the field, 6 of 13 overall from 3. The 3-point percentage, not only have the attempts gone up, but the percentage has gone up as well. Like to me, that's what's impressive is whenever you can increase the volume and you can increase the percentage at the same time. So what he's showing is really awesome. I'm so happy for Killian. We talked about it on the last episode. Like he just needs to stay in the same, whatever headspace he's in, stay in it. Uh, Like, he he hit a a baseline jumper over Matisse Theibel on Sunday night and started talking trash when the Pistons were down 20. And, like, while I don't subscribe to players doing that when you're down 20, I don't even care because I want Killian to be feeling himself at all times, no matter what, so he keeps these vibes going. And, you know, I think the question with Killian now is, is, is this truly who he is? I think we've seen enough sample to believe so. The question is now, if he does this for another almost 40 games to close out the season... What's his role on this team next year? You know, with Cade, with Ivy, if you added Scoot Henderson, even if you don't add Scoot Henderson, is he making a statement to be considered as a starting player on this team again? And I think it's hard to say that you don't at least have that conversation if he continues to play this way.
1: I agree. I mean, I think you could argue that, you know, just from an overall impact standpoint, he's been Detroit's best guard. And Alec Burks has scored the ball so well that, I think he's probably a consideration for that argument. But just Killian from definitely plays with from defense. He is, by a very wide margin, uh, just the best passer and best, I think, overall playmaker on this roster. He's knocking down threes with consistency. Uh, that mid-range jumper has been automatic. And he's playing with confidence. So we saw in the last two games that when he's feeling it, he can really, you know, be aggressive and hunting his own shot. And he's just playing with the confidence and the freedom that we have not seen from him uh so even though we were pretty close in our projection for the stat line uh, i think the underlying play behind those numbers is better Agreed. than either of us expected and uh, he had that horrific start to the year so that drags his numbers down overall but by the end of the year um his points on his assist uh should continue the To trend up And I think our projection If we revisit these numbers At the end of the year uh, will look more inaccurate Than it looks right now
0: I will freely admit He's been way above Expectations for me He You know I, I assume he'll be the guy I would He's the guy that I would say Has been higher above Expectations than anybody else Like and like I'm glad you pointed that out Even though our stat line projection looks somewhat reasonable right now it's probably not going to at the end of the season and just in general like if you just spoke about it i would say he's been better than what we thought let's move to another guy i said that marvin Bagley may have been the guy we missed the most this next guy is in consideration as well sadiq bay we projected 17 points five rebounds three assists his actual numbers are 13.8 points, 4.2 rebounds, and 1.5 assists. We projected a slight increase from Sadiq Bay, and we've actually gotten a decrease. Where did we miss? What did we miss with Sadiq Bay?
1: So here's the thing about Sadiq is that he, I think we assumed he would pick up where he left off, and that just didn't happen. Uh, he started off last year in a slump, uh, but by the end of December, I think he had really shook most of that slump off and then when you look at his numbers from that point on until close to the end of the year, they started shutting players down. So this officially kind of took a hit uh, over the last few weeks of the season. But uh, he basically was that guy uh, for a significant stretch last year. He basically was a 17 points per game scorer with pretty good rebounding and pretty good passing. And we basically just assumed that he would pick up and that would continue to be his trajectory over the course of this season. And that hasn't been the case um, for a variety of reasons. I think, one, uh, his outside shooting has stumped uh, pretty significantly, and he's currently in the midst of his worst shooting season. And his playmaking is not where it was last season. I think he's regressed a little bit in that area. Uh, And he's, like, he can still score the ball. He's improved as an interior scorer. His footwork is better. Like, there's still been improvement. But the bottom line for him, and we've talked about it, is that if he's not shooting the ball well, that – Has knock on effects for the rest of his game, and uh, at the end of the day, the three point shooting has to be his bread and butter, and it just hasn't been. Uh, I also am curious. I believe we did our predictions before the Bogey trade, right? So
0: I was going to say that even about uh, Marvin Bagley the third, but yeah, it's, it's especially comes into play now because. We were having to give points somewhere, right? Like the team was going to score points. It's not like they're going to score under 100 points, but we weren't counting on Bogey getting 20 a night. And so I think some of our points per games were probably higher than what they are because we didn't know that he was going to be getting those.
1: Right, And I think if we knew that Bogey was going to be on the roster, maybe we don't project 17 for Sadiq just because Bogey's going to eat into that. And we certainly don't project what we projected for Marvin Bagley third because we probably have a real debate on does Marvin even start at that point, right? Uh, You know, like, does it make sense to to start him when you can start Sadiq and Boyan or uh, just go a different direction with that. So, um, yeah, our projections are a little outdated just because that was a pretty significant piece of the puzzle that had not come into play yet. But the bottom line for Sadiq is that he just isn't shooting the ball well and he's not going to sniff anything close to 17 points per game in this league if he can't get those outside shots to fall again.
0: Yeah, I mean, both of the ones we missed the biggest, it came down to roll. I gave the Marvin Bagley the third in terms of minutes and shot attempts. Bay's only playing five less minutes a game. I mean, I guess that's still significant, but he's getting three less shot attempts compared to last season of Amari. And he's taking less threes, two less threes a game. This is the biggest concern for me with Sadiq Bey, is two less threes a game and his percentage is also going down. So where Killian Hayes' volume went up and percentage went up, Sadiq Bey's volume went down and the percentage went down. He's getting to the free throw line only a tad bit more. And so like, yeah, just across. cross up, he's got to figure out, we talked about this last week, we don't have to get into it again, but like he's just got to figure out his role on both ends of the floor and the Twitter poll backed this up only 1% said above expectations 17% said at expectations 82% of the fan base feel like Sadiq Bay has been below expectations this year and at the end of the day like as much as I love Sadiq I-, I can't disagree with him
1: and I think that Sadiq's probably the player that if you just look at the poll that if fan base has been the most disappointed with for obvious reasons so I think he as a player that many expected would take some sort of leap this season that it just hasn't happened. So um, you know, I'm curious to see if he does get over to slump and he's able to sort of course correct that narrative by the end of the year. But Um, Yeah, yeah, he's just got to start knocking shots down, and that's the bottom line for him.
0: He had more below-expectation votes than the one for Dwayne Casey slash the team. So that tells you how disappointed the fan base is in him because we know the fan base hasn't been happy with Coach Casey and the results from the team, and we will discuss that a little bit at the very end of the episode. So that tells you how the fan base feels with Sadiq's season. And, you know, for him, I hope he figures it out. A guy that has figured it out and exceeded above expectations, Isaiah Stewart. This is another one we ended up low on just in terms of points. Actually, we had him at 8.5 points, nine rebounds, one block. He's at 11.6 points, 7.8 rebounds, 0.7 blocks, and 1.1 assists. He's also shooting four threes a game, which I don't know that we wrote that down in the outline. I believe we did talk about it on the episode. So if someone wants to go back and listen, it's a great episode and you could tell us what we, uh, where we discussed his attempts. But I would say that's probably above what either of us were expecting. In terms of three-point attempts as well,
1: yeah, I would say so. Uh, I think we were in the range of like maybe 100 or 150 three-pointers over the course of the year. Uh, Made three-pointers, which you know we probably would have put him at about uh, three attempts a game, and he is a little bit higher than that. So yeah, overall, uh, we were probably a little uh, more skeptical about his growth as a shooter uh, this season, and he has grown a lot. Yeah, I think other than like killing is probably number one, but I would say as is probably not too far behind as far as just uh, how much he has exceeded expectations across the board uh, this season. Uh, anytime a big man steps into a new offensive role where you're not maneuvering around the rim as much, you don't really know what to expect. Some guys figure it out quick. Some guys just an extended process. The uh, way Casey talks about Jonas Valanciunas a lot, and uh, he didn't really truly embrace the 3 bots we he got to uh, New Orleans a couple of years ago. And he was drafted in 2011, right? So you're talking about eight, nine years for <laughs> uh, Valanciunas to really embrace uh, the, the three-point shot, uh, which I still don't think he's embraced as much as Isaiah Stewart has. So uh just speaks a lot to the work Isaiah Stewart has put in. And, you know, I think just the vision that, the franchise had for him overall for him to shift rows, uh, you know, entering his third season. Uh we don't see that type of growth curve very often uh for big men. But, you know, I would say just looking at the poll, you got seventy two percent Uh, exceeding expectations and then 25% at expectations, which is right there with Killian. Pretty clear that uh, he's in the midst of a a really great breakout year.
0: We don't have to talk about Stu a ton because we've done whole segments talking about his transition to playing on the perimeter and I'm sure we're going to talk about it more as he continues to get better and better. I just want to again mention the three-point attempts. He averaged just over a half attempt a game last season, just under one in his rookie season. Most of those came at the end of the year. He's over four per game. That, that's insane progression for a player and shooting it at 34%. So that's where the 34% becomes really impressive. Omari, maybe just in a vacuum, like if you just look at 34%, you're like, Oh, that's not that great. He's increased his attempts by almost four per game. That's huge. Like there's a whole mindset behind that and being able to shoot through slumps and misses, you know, makes end of games, all of that. And I just want to touch on his rebounds real quick. The reason those are down is, again, because of the role he's in. Him playing next to Jalen Duren, nobody's going to get 10 rebounds a game playing next to Jalen Duren because he's gobbling up so many. So his rebounds are really good for the new role that he's playing. He's not going to be a consistent double-digit rebounder. I think he started at the 5 on Sunday night, and he did. I think he had a he had a 20-13, and 13, I believe, on Sunday night versus the Sixers because Duren was out and he played at the 5. So don't look at those rebound stats. For everybody listening and think that he all of a sudden got worse as a rebounder or isn't focused as much there. There's just not as many opportunities in that role. And we're going to close this one. I know Isaiah Livers is in this draft class as well. He's been injured for most of the year, so we're not going to touch on him. It's probably not fair. We did do the poll Four set above, 28 at, 68 below expectations. I would assume a lot of that has to do with the injury. I know Cade has been injured, but I still wanted to touch on it just because we did do a projection and we did get some games. So we projected Cade to be 22 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists. His actual was just under 20 points, 6.2 rebounds, 6 assists. I did, I was listening to Game Theory this morning and they were talking about this draft class and they actually said if you took out Cade's first five games this year, his numbers were essentially what we had projected here at 22, 6, and 7. I I guess it's just a chance for us to talk about Cade and what this team is missing because I do feel like sometimes it gets forgotten.
1: Yeah, so Cade had a bit of a weird year before he got hurt uh, just because he was in a, a pretty bad slump through preseason, and then, like you mentioned, those first five games, and we'll have to take credit and say, yeah, remove the first five games, like we were dead on, but he only played 12 games, so it's like, remove half the season, <laughs> that he was there, and I don't think we can remove half the games he fair, actually did That's but, fair, that's fair. Um, yeah, like, again, like, Cade, it's just such a small sample size, it's tough to say one way or another, because if you just go off of preseason and those first five games, it's like, it, he progressed pretty badly, and then well, seven games after it's like, oh, there he is. There's the, there's the, the cave from that season. who was leading the team to victory. So, um, I mean, split right down the middle, but I think just the way he is able to take over games, as he did a few times before he got hurt, just shows his upside and just shows that he's got that, um, like Dwayne always talks about like X factor, right? Like a guy just kind of has that innate sense of when to take over, you know, control of a game. And it would have been fun watching Kate, the season kind of grow more into that road, which we'll have to wait until the next season. But yeah, I mean, for him, I think the step of size we did see just kind of showed like, yeah, he can be that guy, but he's also still got a lot of growing to do, which again, we we'll just have to wait <laughs> until the, this, this fall to see um, what type of player he ends up being.
0: I miss Cade, man. Like I do as a fan of Mari. And I know you don't get this side of it because this is your job and you're not a fan of the team. As a fan of the team, I miss Cade. And as a coach, sometimes like, I'm wired, we're wired to next man up. Like you don't make excuses. You, you know. But I do get a little frustrated with, I don't think people discuss and factor in this team missing Cade Cunningham enough. Because he's a second-year player. And I think a lot of people on the outside and even on the inside don't realize that he was truly the leader of this team. And the impact that has on Jaden Ivey. And I know people are gonna say, well, Killian Hayes is playing well. Yeah, Killian Hayes is playing awesome. But Killian Hayes is only able to focus on Killian Hayes right now. He's not able to help Jay Nive. And I think Cade Cunningham's leadership and demeanor and just the way he approaches things would have helped Jay Nivey this season. And we're about to talk to, about Jay Nivey after the break, but I just, I want to keep that at the forefront or at least, In the discussion, when we talk about this team, when we judge Dwayne Casey, when we talk even about Jaden Ivey and some of these other players, not having Cade around doesn't only affect Cade, it affects everybody around them. And I just, I wanted to take a a few seconds here to at least mention that. I don't know if you have anything to say about it, we can go to break, but I wanted to make sure we continue to have that discussion and, and provide that nuance.
1: Yeah, and I kind of mentioned this when I was watching the Lions last night, because when the Seahawks won, a lot of people, like, I saw a lot, a lot of anger and frustration. Like, I can't believe the Lions didn't make the playoffs. And, what? you know, it's like this team started off 1-6 and, and they're in the middle of a rebuild and, like, you know, they're 8-8 eight eight now. So, like, if you go 8-8, 8-9, 9-8, don't make the playoffs the like second year before a rebuild, like... That's still fantastic, right? Yeah. Like, in the discussion, that's a huge win. But getting back to Cade as well, what I've realized more and more as I do this job is that a lot of fans find losing intolerable. And it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter how logical it is that they're losing. A lot of fans just think it's intolerable. And that's just one thing I've realized more and more is I can't even engage with that part because they just cannot tolerate losing. It doesn't matter if you're, like, they could put B you, and, like, two other B guys out there, you know, because they're so hurt, and we could lose about 80. Yeah, on, like, me, me,
0: you and James are getting buckets, man. We're, we're,
1: within, <laughs> we're
0: getting, we're, we ain't guarding no, I will not speak for James. James may be able to, lo- may be a lockdown defender, but me, you, and James are getting buckets.
1: Yeah, we might get a few, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but even if we were out there their fans would be in Pistons missions like y'all gotta find better people I can't believe this yada yada and it's just yeah on paper Kate being is going to lower the trajectory of this season but you know for a lot of fans it's like I'm trying to watch them lose so it doesn't matter why they're losing I'm just trying to watch it and that's all it really boils down to for them but you're right like you lose Kate, it's gonna uh, lower the ceiling for this team like he should've been their best player you know and even with Kate, it still would've been tough right so you know without him obviously it's going to be even more tough but I've just realized that you can't make logical arguments when you have a contingent of people who are watching this purely from an emotional standpoint. And that's just, I think, um, an area that's kind of hard to reconcile, but bottom line, yeah, you look at this roster and Kate being out, and I think a lot of their issues make sense.
0: No, th- there's absolutely things to be frustrated with, Amari, and things we wish were improved. But there are, like, legitimate—I hate to call them excuses. I, I, there's a better word for this than excuses. There's rational reasons for why this team doesn't win night in and night out. And it, it kind of came to the forefront listening to some of these national podcasts, listening to people talking, and it was funny. It all came to a head because Wes actually texted me is like, yeah, I was explaining to Jill, shout out his wife Jill, appreciate you giving us West to uh, be with us when we record and everything we do, but he's like I had to explain to Jill that Cade being out was more than just Cade not giving this team 26 and 6, it was the leadership and everything else he does as well. So I'll digress. We'll move on. we got to go to a short break. And then when we come back, we will get to the 2022 draft class. A few other players that we didn't make preseason predictions on, but we have to discuss just a little bit, maybe Coach Casey and the team overall. But we'll definitely start off with Jalen Duran and Jaden Ivey.
1: I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. All right, back with segment three. And uh, I believe this is the player who actually scored the highest on the poll as far I as so. exceeding expectations. Jalen Uh we projected 5.5 points, 3.5 rebounds and one block which was very much a, we don't expect him to play very much uh, projection or play as much as he has projection. Um, yeah, his actual is 7.6 points, 8.5 rebounds and 0. 0.7 blocks. So we did over project the blocks, <laughs> but everything else was kind of comically off, especially the rebounds. We said 3.5 and he's what already were we been. What we
0: thinking Omari? What is wrong yeah, with
1: us? Like he's already been one of the better rebounders in the NBA. Like, Forty games into his career, which hey, you you can't project that. You can't project that he was eighteen years old until the middle of November, and he had Def in front of him, Marvin Bagley, and Isaiah Stewart, and K- guys I, that
0: K.O. was on the roster when we did this. So that's the and other K.O. Game.
1: was also on the roster.
0: This was the this was pre the boy on trade. So the roster the and we didn't know at that time that Nerlens Noel was literally only going to play when he had to play. Or when the team—I shouldn't say that—that that made it sound like Nerlens doesn't want to play. Nerlens only plays when there's no other options. Like what, whatever the reason is, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But we—I we, I thought Nerlens was going to be an actual part of the rotation. So the big man rotation was a little bit jam packed when we did these to justify us being so wrong.
1: Like Nerlens, I had a sense going into the year that Nerlens would be like a "quote unquote" like emergency option, but a lot of that came down to. Uh, one, like just overall depth, like you'd still have Marvin and you still have Isaiah and you still have Kelly. So you're in a situation from a depth standpoint where it's like you don't necessarily have to play Jalen Duren unless he's just giving you stuff that you can't otherwise get. Um, and two, just how how ready will Jalen Duren be? Uh West also points out helpfully here that, you know, Duren was also a poor rebounder in Summer League, which like he's flashed athleticism but still has some stuff clearly to work on, so... Uh, yeah, the K.O. trade, uh, K.O. being traded to Utah, uh, cleared more of a path for Durant, and then he did his part just simply by playing really good basketball and being the best rebounder on this roster and just giving you some stuff that the team hasn't had consistently, uh, whether it's just having that lob threat you need, like Marvin Bagley, this time at the beginning of the year and also summer preseason, so that forged a path for Durant to get those minutes. And also New Orleans' well um you know missing preseason the training camp as well gave during an opportunity to kind of come in and show what he could do so just basically everything that needed to happen for Jalen during to get into the rotation happened and that's something that you can't predict so i'm going to defend us a little bit just because of the ko trade and because you can't predict the injuries to Nerlens noel and to marvin bagley that basically forced the coaching staff to turn to Jalen during pretty early and he's done his part like he's played really well um you know, he's basically given you a lot of what you would want from Nerlands which is why I think they kinda of saw him as more of an emergency option because you can't play Duran and Nerlands do all together, so you kinda of have to pick one or the other on any given night. But no, he's been really fantastic for this team and the eighty seven percent of people voting, um, exceeding expectations, I think speaks to just how good he's been as a rookie so far.
0: And just to back up what Wes said with the summer league, I looked up his, he only played three games and he only averaged 20.5 minutes per game. He averaged 3.3 rebounds per game, Omari, in the summer league. 3.3. So that combined with when I scouted him, even before the Pistons drafted him, and I had some cur- concerns about his defensive rebounding, I think is what led to the low, you know, 3.5 rebounds per game prediction. I think what I way undervalued and did not see was him already being an elite offensive rebounder I think there's still a lot of room to grow for him defensively overall but even with his defensive rebounding he's gonna get a lot just because he's in the paint and he's massive and athletic I think there's some box outs and some stuff like that he still has to grow with but the offensive rebounding being elite like I missed that like that was not something I expected and he's perfected already like the little tip backs that you know sometimes he gets credit for sometimes whoever he tips it who gets credit for but there's there's legitimate we can justify the rebounds even though it looks comically bad right now based off summer league the film from college and some of those things but uh, credit to him like that's my point is he got better from summer league to the regular season omari his rebounding wasn't good in summer league and he got better and that's impressive for a young kid and so shout that's all due respect and you know shout out to jalen for that
1: yeah, I mean, it's just stuff that you really can't predict at all. No, you can't predict the improvement he would have as an overall rebounder. Like like you said, he got four and a half or three and a half per game in summer league. And, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just tough to say that a guy will find his groove to that extent, especially when you're so young. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we were very off on that one. But, yeah, I mean, just between fate and then also Jalen Duran being a very quick learner uh, that one aged. Uh, pretty poorly, that's actually one of the most wrong predictions we've had on this one, if not the most wrong one so shout out to Jalen Duran um let's move on to the other Ricky uh, Jaden Ivy, and we were also pretty low on this is an interesting one.
0: We took a lot of heat for this this is the one I remember we took more heat for this than maybe anything we've done with the podcast like we always get some negative comments whether on free or d b b or but th- this was probably the one where there was the most, like, you got essentially calling us haters for our JD J Nive predictions.
1: But I will say this, we were low on the points per game, but the actual sort of struggles he's had on the floor, we were correct about. And I don't think we necessarily got the numbers right, but the overall... Uh, concerns we had, I think, have been proven true, and it just didn't necessarily translate to the stat box the way we imagined. But uh, let's get to it. We projected 11.5 points, four rebounds, and three and a half assists. He is averaging 14.9 points, so a you know, pretty significant jump, but 4.1 rebounds, four assists. And the Poe, uh, 13% overachieving, 71% at expectations. And then 16% below expectations. So almost perfectly just from an expectation standpoint in average season for Jaden Ivey. But I will point out uh, right now he is shooting 40.9% overall and 32.5% from three. So while he is scoring about 15 points a game, the efficiency really hasn't been there. And that's really propped up by the amount of shots that he's taking, which is, you know, again, like we didn't expect Cade would miss the season. So he's probably taking a few more shots that he would be taking otherwise. So that kind of goes into the puzzle as well, right? Like Cade would have probably helped him develop more, and that hasn't been there. So he's had to take on more of a load, and that's had a knock on effect on his efficiency. But overall, I would say that he's probably about the player we expected him to be at this point.
0: That's where I find the poll interesting that there isn't more above expectations for him. And honestly, recently I feel like, I don't think things have gotten negative and like, it's not like the fan base has turned on him, but there's definitely more questions about Jade and Ivy from the fan base than makes sense to me, I guess is what I'm the, the right way to say it. Like I'm perfectly happy with what we've seen from J and Ivy, especially offensively. We, as you said, we knew he was going to have these struggles. The fact he's scoring 15 points a game obviously is above what I thought we were going to see. The passing has been as good, if not better. Obviously there's some turnovers. We've seen all the good stuff. He's had some reps in the mid range where it's like, okay, maybe he's starting to develop this. Honestly, the three point percentage being at 33% isn't bad for me. Like that's, I was wouldn't have been shocked if it was under thirty percent, and he's getting to the line almost five times a game, which is higher than what I would have predicted. I guarantee it wouldn't have been that high, especially after the whistle we saw Cade get. Like Jaden's, Jaden's the best guard on the team getting to the free throw line and non jump shooting situations. I know that's Alec Burke's thing, but he's definitely better getting the free throw line than Killian Hayes, and even than what Cade Cunningham did so far in, in the time we've seen from him. So I've been. I've been happy with Jay Nivey on the offensive end, especially where he's being thrust into a role, as you mentioned, and we mentioned, you know, previously that maybe he wasn't ready for. My biggest thing with Jay Nivey is he has been as bad, if not worse defensively than what I even expected. And I'm starting to get a little concerned with that. I knew he was going to struggle defensively. I know he's a rookie, but it's, it hasn't just been bad. For an NBA player, I think his defense has been bad for an NBA rookie, Amari. Like, just Jalen Duran is very good for an NBA rookie big man, but probably not good for an NBA big man in general. Jay Nivey, I think, has been bad just if you compare him to other NBA rookie guards and what you'd expect from them on the defensive end.
1: Yeah, I think the defense has not been there, and... Like, most rookies, you know, at any position you come in, you're not great defensively. But, you know, I think for Jaden, you just want to see that possession to possession effort um, get better. And I think offensively, like, yeah, he's getting downhill. He's getting to the line at a high rate, which was his best skill in college, and that's translated, which is good. Um, for me, you know, I think it's not great that he is only shooting about 41% overall, you know, considering that, uh, just the skill and the physical talent he has as a downhill driver, uh, that percentage at the rim should be a lot better. But, you know, we see him, he gets a lot of blow-bys or uh, he just gets to the rim in, in transition. And uh, probably like once or twice a game, he gets to the rim and he misses the layup he probably should have got. And, you know, we, we have games where he falls in love with the three a little more than he probably needs to. And I think from a shot selection standpoint, he's still very much figuring things out as well as still figuring out Uh, Oh, like NBA defenses can rotate quick and this may look like a clear lane, but it's not. Uh, Just a lot of that stuff, which is all Ricky stuff, right? Like, none of this stuff long term is really anything that should worry you. But, you know, I think when we said 11.5 points, it wasn't like a we think he's going to suck projection. It was a he's going to have some issues transcending his game to the NBA projection, which, you know, the points are higher, but the efficiency shows that he's still. Very much figuring a lot of stuff out, which is worse than what we were getting at with that projection. So, overall, like I think it's been an encouraging rookie season just because you see that athleticism and what it can do for him and for the team as a whole. And for him, is just continuing to learn how to best apply that. And, you know, and then just also just learning the speed of the NBA and what he can and can't get away with.
0: So, he's played 39 games, Hamari. Do you think he's missed at least one? quote-unquote, wide-open layup in half of those games. Do you think he's missed 20 wide-open layups this season?
1: Yes, I would say probably a little bit more than half of those games.
0: Okay, so let's just work with half. If he's missed one wide-open layup that you would expect a reasonable NBA player to make, that's 15 more made attempts. He would be 45% from the field if he's just made those. My point is, yes, it's concerning he's missed those because they are essentially wide-open layups and he's in the NBA. To me, it's a touch thing. He's going so fast, he can't slow himself down or you know, find the right English off the backboard. But I would rather have to teach a guy how to do that than teach a guy how to get to the rim in general. And if you're telling me all he has to do is make wide open layups and now he's a 45 to 50% guy from the field with the three point shot that maybe upticks a little bit, I'm okay with that. To me, then it's like, okay, find the mid-range stuff, get better defensively, especially with the effort, and now he's the player we all thought he was going to be. So I guess that's where I'm not, like, overly concerned. I'm not saying he's going to be 100% what we thought. I'm just saying we've seen all the things to still have those beliefs that he can be the player we thought he was going to be coming into the league.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. Like, we're still dealing with, like, less than half of the season of data. So, yeah, so any thing he's not doing well is probably going to be it's, it's, it's going to stand out more just because you don't have that much of a simple size to compare it against but you're right like i think he's probably been a tad better offensively than the number suggests because he is missing a lot of gimme layups right now and another thing for him too is i like, guess he turns the ball over but we do come again that he's probably more of an off guard long term than um your lead initiator which again like i don't want to knock him for that because he's been asked to do more point guardy things with Cade being out and coming into the year, that's not something that we expected. So I think this time next year, you know, Ivy makes more of those gibbies and with Cade back, you have to act and Killian also playing the way he's been playing. You could ask Ivy to do less overall, right? Like he has fewer decisions to make and he could just focus more on what he's great at, which is punishing the rim, pressuring the rim bending the defense, finding open shooters and whatnot, which like we saw with Cade at the beginning of the year, he was actually really good at, and his numbers were overall better next to Cade. So uh, Cade's injury, I think, changed the trajectory of his season and uh, it's kind of made some of the things he needs to improve stand out. But you're right, overall, like I think it's, you know, I think the Pope reflected that this has been an overall pretty solid rookie year for him, and I haven't seen anything that would make you kind of panic long-term either, right? Like, I think every year I think we see a rookie guard like after All-Star weekend really find their groove and they kind of take off and I still think that Ivy could be that player this season.
0: Yeah, Jalen Green did it last year, right? Like he was incredible post-All-Star break and so I I think you're right. I think he he exploded onto the scene. He had... Cade playing next to him. He's hit a little bit of a slump, maybe a little bit of that mid-season rookie wall. Other rookies has as well. Like Benedict Mathurin was shooting almost like 50% from three. And I looked this morning and it's down to like 34 or 33 or something. Shaden Sharps, you know, up and down, even Keegan Murray, who is the, you know, the most consistent player in the draft has nights where he doesn't shoot it well, only scores four points. And all of those guys are in roles that are better suited for them. Like again, I feel like I've started to get a little bit defensive of some of this stuff, especially with Jaden Ivey. All of these other rookies are in roles that pro- Benedict Matherin comes off the bench. Keegan Murray's like the fourth or fifth option in that starting lineup. None of them are being the primary creator and on-ball guy like what Jaden Ivey is being asked to do now at times. I know Killian does it at times. So. I'm I'm not at all disappointed in these rookies. Uh, maybe it it, it seems like it always comes down to expectations. Just a few more here, Amari. I'm just going to read these off. You give me your biggest takeaway. Casey and the team, fifty six percent said below expectations. Boyan, eighty two percent above. Burke, sixty eight above. Knox, fifty one percent above. Kojo was pretty much middle of the pack. Rodney, middle of the pack. Nerland's Noel, seventy five percent below. Anything that that stood out from those, just the Twitter poll, because we didn't do preseason predictions for those. Anything that stood out from those numbers before we
1: go? Yeah, I think uh, slightly more people uh, thinking that the team and Dwayne Casey have been below expectations is interesting, because I would still say that the team has probably been within expectations. I had to finish the 14th in the East, like even with K. That was before the Boyan trade. But even with if we had done that with Boyan on the roster, I wouldn't have guessed I'm like 12th just because the team's young. The East is the East. I just didn't see a realistic pathway. So um, this kind of goes to what I was saying earlier, where a lot of fans just can't tolerate losing. But I think fans tend to set timelines based on their own patience, not necessarily what is um, – you know, like, realistically going to happen. You know, it's not this team has what it takes to win. It's I'm ready to watch a winning team. And, you know, if you want ready to watch a winning team and they're not there yet for rational reasons, you're going to be disappointed. So I'm not surprised by it, but still interesting to me that more fans are low on this team than. Probably where you expect it, just considering you can look at the roster, and I think the roster, I think the record kind of speaks for itself. Honestly, like I don't think there's any surprises there. Um, and then, Ke- like we haven't talked about Kevin a lot, like we have, but like he's been fantastic. Obviously, um, compared to expectations, like we didn't know if he will be a rotation guy and for him to come in and just shoot the ball well. Uh, it's a pretty big leap for him. Uh, you know, teams always need just you know somewhat bouncy six eight fours who can knock down shots, and that's what he's been. So uh, Kevin's been good. And then Burks, 68% above expectations is too low. It should like be 100. Is, yeah, like, come on. He should be fantastic. Like, that's that's way too low, y'all. Come on. Like, Boyan is at 82%. It's Boyan expectations. should be at
0: 102 because I didn't yeah. think he was going to come and score 20 a game.
1: Yeah, but it's just bogey's higher than Burks. That's interesting to me because, to me, I've been more surprised by Burks than bogey. Yeah, that's interesting to me. But beyond that, the rest of these are, I think, pretty understandable. Only other one is people you know, being surprised that Durant hasn't played well, which again, I don't think you can really play him and Duran and Bagley when our three are healthy. So
0: he had some big fans. Like I, I have people tweet at me quite a bit, like, why isn't Nerland's playing? Nerland's would help this team so much. Nerland's a really good defender. And uh, my Nerland film breakdown, whenever they acquired him, I wasn't super high on him getting a ton of minutes. but
1: Yeah, I think that's the college push. I think a lot of people remember him being the number one recruit that went to Kentucky after Anthony Davis and expectations that came with that. And I think a lot of that's kind of mixed into the expectations that came in here. Even if you look at his NBA career and see that, you know, he's probably been about what you would expect based on his past stops. So I know this is really not surprising, but again, I don't think these people have watched Derlin's. I think they just remember Kentucky number one recruit Derlin's, and expectations were set because of that.
0: He did play some good minutes on Sunday night. Hit a couple of mid-range yeah. jumpers, uh, increasing that trade stock. Maybe Troy Weaver can fleece a second rounder out of somebody. But that's it for this week. We'll be back next Tuesday, normal time. We're back on our normal schedule here. So Amari, appreciate you. Great season from the Detroit Lions. Shout them out again. Uh, take it away, my guy.
1: Yeah, great season for the Lions. And now we can take all the Lions fans back and they can watch the Pistons and tune into the Pistons post. Uh, win-win for everybody. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Going to do the outro. Shout out to Kerry Jr. II and Robin Chan, our executive, and our sports editor, Kirkman Crawford. Also, big shout out to West Davenport. We'll talk to you all next week.